Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Welcome back to Inside Football, everybody. We return following the NFL draft with Rick Venturi, who's had ample time to put this draft class into perspective for the Indianapolis Colts. I'm Matt Taylor. Good to be with you. We're inside the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio. And today we're discussing the Colts 12-player draft hall from a few weeks back and discussing the state of the Colts roster here in the spring with RV. Rick, how you doing today on this beautiful May day in the state of Indiana? It's a beautiful day. You can imagine I'm going to get some ride time this afternoon on the <laughs> chopper, that's for sure. Uh, I'm doing great. You know, I had the cataract surgery last week at the eye specialist. They did a great job for me. Um, I'm not going to have any excuses this year of missing any plays from up in our high press box because <laughs> – uh, my eye, my eyes are twenty twenty again. I just, I can't believe it. I'm just shocked at it without glasses. So, you know, I'm really fired up. I had a great Saturday. I wasn't supposed to, but you know me, I couldn't stay away. I had to go out and check our guy out, Richardson. So yep, I, yep. I did spend some time there, and then I took Miss Sherry out to Hoosier uh, uh, Park. Oh. And we enjoyed the Derby. Two Phil's, uh, you know, paid for dinner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, a, it was actually a tremendous Saturday, to tell you the truth. So, uh, again, I'm really back in the saddle. And, you know, again, like we talked about when we did the draft together, to me that is the beginning, you know, of the 23 season, really, now with the everything else, yeah. with the OTAs and you know, the free agency's already happened. But in, in my book, it's it starts with that draft. I love it. All right. Life is good there for Rick Venturi. You got a little change <laughs> in your pocket. That's good. Change a and bit. you yeah. can see better. Now you can see in full effect just how good looking I am. Even even more so. All right. So I mean <laughs> you got a lot sure, everything's man. on the That's up and up for, sure. for you. <laughs> All right. Well let's begin. We're gonna talk about Richardson obviously, but let's begin with uh, the draft in totality here, Rick. 12 players, uh, including nine on day three. That was uh, rounds four through seven. Very clear the Colts are you know, wanting to prioritize youth and a lot of upside. It's their largest draft class in the modern seven-round format. Um, just there, did you think the roster needed that much of a shakeup and injection of young talent after last season when they went 4-12-1? and well, it's it is a kind of a wake up call. You know, I, I I think numbers are overrated. I'll get into that. Uh, but when you're four twelve and one, I mean, you're, if your roster was that great, you wouldn't be four twelve and one. So, you know, you've brought in uh, prospects. Uh, you know, the Ballard prospects are always the same. They all have a chance because they're always good athletically. Um, you and you know, I, you got a brand new coaching staff. So, you know, you're you're not only bringing in prospects, you're bringing in competition. Uh, new coaching staff uh, brings in tremendous competition. So. You know, it's a real wake-up call for everyone, and and I'm sure somebody down, you know, at the bottom of that draft will end up surfacing. Uh, I, I the numbers themselves. My dad always used to say it's he'd be talking about a football team, and 
they'd say, well, you know, uh, you know, Cathedral only has 35 guys and North Central has 70 guys on the roster. My dad said, well, that would only matter if everybody carried a musket like the Civil War. You know, it's not. <laughs> right. It, it right. still comes down. It's 11 to on 11, 11, right? Yeah, 11 on 11. And so, you know, at the end of the day, the more important thing for me, and I'm not going to minimize uh, the 12 picks. I'm really not, but. The more important thing to me, and I've said this a million times and you've documented it, is that my concern with the Colts has been lack of game-changing playmakers in the top ten picks of the roster. Now, you know, when you're drafting from four down, when you're drafting the third day, you're drafting guys that you're projecting and sometimes you hit it, but you're really drafting the core, you're drafting, you know, depth. Mm-hmm. Where where you're drafting winning, where you have to win – is on the first two days, and so I am really confident, you know, on the other end of it, uh, not to minimize numbers, but to me what is was more important is that we got a quarterback and a receiver in the first two nights, um, to me, that are game changers. And they may not be game changers tomorrow because they're just kids and there's going to be a developmental period, but you got two terrific. I mean, you got a quarterback that changes – the whole landscape of Colts football as we've ever known it, not just recently as we've ever known it because he's a different deal. You know, and then to me, you got a receiver who I think is really explosive, you know, and as I always say, a guy that can put the ball in the end zone. So, you know, I'm if, if I'm happy, I'm probably more happy about that than the numbers. As we said, Anthony Richardson, the headliner of this draft class, a quarterback, the Colts uh, drafting a quarterback in the first round for the first time since 2012. And it sounds like Richardson was their quarterback target really a month out from the draft, right? After they saw his pro day, after the Mm -hmm. combine, after they brought him in uh, for a top 30 visit, really got comfortable with uh, his resume, him as a player, him as a person. It sounds like Richardson was going to be their guy, even if the Colts picked higher in the draft, Rick. So, so why do you think Richardson was the Colts' targeted quarterback about a month out from the draft going into draft night? Well, you know, and I, I truly believe that. And, um, but it all starts really to me. There's some, there's some a perfect storm here that's happened, in my opinion, and I mean this. It's a perfect storm on the positive side. I think it started with the hiring of Shane Steichen. I think with Steichen, and that's just why I was so in favor of him being hired, we brought in a guy who is a quarterback master but also was a very flexible quarterback master who could handle anyone that they drafted. So he gave them total flexibility in the draft process before it even started. So then you go and you find this young kid who has these unicorn tools in terms of running fast, big, uh, you know, throws it a mile. You've got a guy with great talent. And then the perfect storm is you have Steichen who just comes from a situation where he has a like type quarterback. Not necessarily are they the same, they have differences, they have different things, but in the big picture, they came out of college doing the same things well. That is running the NCAA offense and learning how to throw the ball, throwing ability, but needed refinement. And so you're, you got a coach that comes from Philadelphia, as you say, you know, Philadelphia 2.0, I call it the Indianapolis Eagles, 
But you've got a guy who was able, and he personally did it and called the plays on game time, who developed this kind of situation. So I think when the Colts saw Richardson with Steichen in-house, the first thing they were enamored with was the great tools. There was no question about that. The tools, and the kid ran the combine. He did everything that you wanted to see. And so, and, and I think Steichen looked at him and looked at the throwing and said, in a sense, I can fix the deficiency. This is a, this is a tremendous talent, and I really believe I can fix. I can bring the other things along, like they did with Jalen from the time he was drafted to year two where he's in the MVP you know, category. And then I think what it was after that, I think they were enamored immediately with that in that combination. And then I think the rest of it was what I call the way of life test. And that is the vetting over time mm-hmm. of the way of life on the quarterback. Now, when I talk about way of life in the NFL, the first thing you got to find out is does the guy have football IQ? Is he going to be able to process? Is he going to be able to do that stuff? You know, and if you look at the testing, it's very, very solid. So I think they were able to get through that. Uh, the next thing you're looking for is football character. Now, football character in the in this situation is work ethic. Is the guy a hard worker? Is he just day after day consistent on effort? Um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, number two, I think as a quarterback, is there a type of charisma? And it can be different. It, it's presence. It's charisma. But that's important at that position. And then I think number three, you know, does he relentlessly want to be great? I mean, is is there a relentlessness there? Because if you have that, if you have that relentlessness, that means that you're going to take coaching and you're going to be able to affect your, if it's accuracy, you're going to get better at it. You're going to do all those things. And I don't think there was any doubt after a certain point that those guys felt like they could check those boxes and I do. I actually believe this, and you know they've kind of intimated it. It would have been interesting. I, honest to God, believe that this staff and this organization would have taken him, even if he, they had the number one pick. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think so too. Like you said, there's been some innuendos there. I don't think they've come out and flat out said that, but I think there's a lot of things that you can read into that would give you yes. that belief. Yeah. All right, so there's been $3 million questions of the offseason, as you know, right? At the beginning yeah. of the offseason, it was, who's going to be the head coach? Shane Steigen's hired. Then it's, will the Colts draft a quarterback? Who will that be? Um, that turned out to be Anthony Richardson at four overall. Now the third million dollar question, Rick, is, is he going to play right away? What are some things the Colts are going to have to do with Richardson here in the spring and ultimately in the summer, training camp and preseason games, to potentially get him comfortable playing early in the season. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'll just say right off the bat that from my standpoint, I would really like to see him if he's ready. If he's ready, I would like to see him sooner or later. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've always believed that, you know, and and that this is not 100%, but you know, what you get good at when you're watching is you get good at watching. You don't become a better player unless you're in there. Now, he has to be ready because the one thing you don't want him to do, you don't want him to get in there and have a total failure and a confidence loss. Yeah. And that's happened to a lot of players over the years. So, you know, I think that's going to end up being Steichen and call. And he just went through it with Jalen. So, you know, now Jalen was at a little bit different level experience coming out because of the 
Alabama, Oklahoma, and all the games he played. So he's probably was a little bit further along, but it's still the same situation. But other than the fact that you don't want to throw him in and have him fail and have, and I've seen it with other quarterbacks, a confidence loss, okay, I want to get him there as fast as I can get him in there because the only way you're going to grow as a franchise, we're just, you know, who's kidding who, is with this kid. This kid has the ability. Now, what they have to do with him, I think, first of all, <clears throat> in the big picture, uh, it's going to be the installation of uh, both the things he knows and the things that he's going to have to grow with. The first thing is, as I said, this changes the landscape of pro football. This will not look like Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. It will not look like any time in pro football history. This is for the Colts. This is a option-type quarterback run sensational uh, centric guy. This is a guy that you first build uh, you know, the NCAA phase of the offense, which is the RPOs, the zone reads, uh, quarterback designer runs. Um, you know, the first time in team on Sunday, he carried the ball in zone read. He was 25 yards downfield before anybody even touched him, you know, and then two plays later, he throws a dime at 55 yards. I said, okay, it's derby time for me. You know, I'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll work mm-hmm. on the rest of it. But I, I think, you know, first of all, you're going to install those things that he's very comfortable with. And then I think the important thing, here's where the progression is going to come in and here's where it's going to be decided. You're going to expose him to X amount of uh, professional football drawback concepts because you, you're going to have to play third down. You're going to have to play in the red zone, and you're going to have to play from behind. I think Philadelphia, and I use that as a model because, to me, they're the very best that we've seen in the modern era. Baltimore, I I, I think Baltimore did not do as well as Philly with the drop-back game for uh, Jackson, although, you know, they're going to try to improve that. But Philly did the best job of combining the NCAA part of the running game which we saw firsthand for the win last year. And then what they gave was a basic amount, I think, I don't know, probably five NFL concepts, you know, know, kind of a third and long, a third and short, a red zone, a two-minute, you know, probably four or five concepts, not plays, but concepts that you would use in combination – uh, to teach him along the way. And maybe, you know, maybe with Richardson you start with three, Matt. You know what I'm saying? Right. But you, you that's the area of the game that you're going to have to bring him along, both in technique. You know, they were constantly, even early here, they're constantly working on that fifth, on that drop, on that set, on that set in the amount of steps. You know, because that that's all about the fundamental accuracy. That's what the quarterback coach has got to do a great job fundamentally with him concurrently with them getting him ready scheme-wise. So, you know, all that is going to start, you know, classically you you try to throw a lot of paint on the wall and see what sticks and then come back in training camp and start all over again. And, you know, with him, like I said, I'm, I'm really confident. I'm really optimistic because of Steichen's background. If, if it were another coach, I might actually feel differently. But I feel like that, as I said, the perfect storm – of Steichen, the quarterback master in this style, you know, with a kid. And, you know, not only is he a great talent, just the more you're around him, how can you not pull for him? I mean, the Mm -hmm. kid is a hell of a kid. 
and he got he does have the charisma. You know, you walk out there and you see him, and you know he's different. I mean, he's just different in a in a really good way. But there's a a confidence, but there's a humility there. Um, you know, he's he's just a guy that grows on me exponentially right off the bat. You know, we were talking about this earlier in the week, and and we sort of hit on it during the uh, the draft radio show. Just how much Anthony Richardson's going to help the running game, and how much oh. he's going to help Jonathan Taylor. You know that yep. threat lining up and being able to run out of the shotgun in the read zone. You know, we were kind of talking about this and kicking it around earlier this week. How, how many design? Let, let's just say hypothetically, Richardson is out there week one, um, early in the season. Rick, how many design runs per game do you think are going to be called for Anthony Richardson? Well, when you, when we say design <clears throat> design runs. I think they will. There will be a few a few designers that are actually called runs, you know, like uh, Hertz ran the quarterback draw for a touchdown against us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'll run a quarterback counter, quarterback power. Those to me are legitimately designed runs. Now he's done them all at Florida, so that is the easiest part of his game, to be honest with you. Although when you run a a quarterback draw in the NFL, it's also tied in with a pass if they defend it. You know, you it's a little bit of an RPO. Right. RPOs are normal to him coming out. I mean, he's, and, and this is where uh, I think downs will really help him as well in the slot because, you know, a lot of those RPOs. And, and again, I mean, I think he's ready for, you know, max overdrive uh, in terms of the first game. RPOs, zone reads, and zone reads aren't necessarily – they're called runs, but they're called runs to Jonathan Taylor. But if they if the defense overplays inside, yeah. then the the read part of it is he's going to take it and go. Matter of fact, that was the first play he ran in team uh, the other day. So some of those are going to go to Taylor. Some of them are going to go to him. And in reference to what you said, I think I, I think the key will be how much of the drop back game can they have ready as far as the quarterback running game. I mean, they can run him all day, but you also don't want to kill him. I think the Eagles got much smarter when they went on with um, uh, with Hurts. And if if you really notice, and I used to, I said this in our even before we got ready to play Philadelphia, where you really have to defend the designers is inside your thirty. Yeah. Once that ball crosses your thirty and it's touchdown time, that's when you're going to see more of that stuff. But the key in terms of the the, the kind of the spirit of your question. To me, it's going to be how many concepts can he absorb dropback-wise and coverage, learning the coverages and stuff like that. That's the biggest difference from Saturday to Sunday. The the two games are both great in their own own way, but the Saturday game and the Sunday game, when it comes to pass coverage and pass defense, it's a different sport, totally. But also going back to the other premise of what you said, a quarterback like Richardson – makes a huge difference to a defense because he now adds a dimension. He adds extra gaps to the outside that you have to defense, that you don't have to defense with a stiff quarterback. So what does that do to you? Okay, number one, the linebackers will freeze. Many times you see Philadelphia running that dive play, mm-hmm. and, the, and the running back is wide open because there's two guys waiting for Hurts. And so if you if you then do the other thing, if you load the box with your safeties – so you can keep your box full to stop Jonathan. Now what you have is one-on-one all over your slots, your tight end, your outside receivers, and and particularly with a guy like Richardson who really can throw deep. I mean, he can heave it. And most college kids can really throw deep coming out now. 
is you got players who can take the top off. You know, you're going to have this slot that can get down. You've got Pittman for possession. But, but the point is, if you if you try to play your front seven and hold on Richardson, then Taylor has a field day inside. If you load the box with your safeties, then you have one-on-one everywhere. And if you once you get that, you also have reduced the amount of coverages. The other thing with Richardson, and I experienced this with Michael Vick way back when, Michael Vick changed the game at his day, is you can't play your back-to-the-ball sophisticated coverages. Like, if I'm going to double you and my linebacker turns his back to go over and help the safety, yeah. Richardson will be 20 yards downfield. You know, and I, <laughs> right. I mean, I learned the hard way against Vick on that stuff. So, yeah, he and in and, and that respect, he also takes pressure, uh, you know, off of the offensive line because in many cases – when you're running the ball, you see last year when we ran the ball, we never figured out the bear defense ever. We didn't figure it out tactively, and Jonathan had no chance. And we didn't have a quarterback who could stretch the edge, and so they were playing eight guys right down in there, and there was no place to go. Well, you know, even if we don't have lead plays with the fullback, now we have the quarterback that's going to hold that outside. You got me? Mm-hmm. Where they can't just load it up inside. So. Yeah, the, the, a quarterback like that, I call it, you know, I, I just call it 12-man football because for all these years, as a defensive coordinator, you never had to worry about that. And now you've got the Saturday game and the Sunday game to defense on Sunday. Yep, and the Eagles took it all the way to the Super Bowl there. All right, let's move on. Let's uh, progress. And I, I do want to talk about the cornerbacks on defense and mm-hmm. uh, the following pick after Anthony Richardson in the second round for the Colts that uh, ultimately ended up being Juju Brents out of Kansas State after the Colts traded back a couple of times in round number two. So it was Juju Brents out of Kansas State in the second round, Darius Rush from South Carolina in the fifth round, and then Jalen Jones from Texas A&M in the seventh round, Rick. All really big corners. Um, What's your big takeaway from the cornerback class? That's A. And then B, were you surprised the Colts went so corner heavy, three of them, in 2023 here? Well, you know, really, it, it was a, it was probably a need coming out of the season because we didn't know what was going to happen with Kenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we let, you know, for one reason or another, I'm not going to belabor it, but when we let one of our three elite players out the door in, um, in Gilmore, Gilmore mm-hmm. then we created our own huge need. Okay, now, I think they like Flowers, and I, I, I think they like Rodgers. I really do. Those are two fast, young kids kind of unknown guys that actually performed pretty well when they were in there, and I think they like them, but you couldn't go in just saying, well, this is it. So they, this is one of those years you had to flood it as much as you could, and that's why you invested a two. Now, a two is a big, big investment in Brents, and then came right back with a guy I like immensely as Rush, and then I think they took a little bit of a flyer on Jones, but he has talent. They're all really, really long. Uh, you know, if you go to Brents to start with, Brents is a guy you can fall in love with. He has it, I call it, all but one. He is a great kid. He is long, tremendous length. Um, he has a, a like a 41-and-a-half vertical so he can get up. Uh, tremendous short shuttle. And, and this is a measure of short area quickness. I think it's 4.05. I mean, that's that's really fast. When you're in the four twos. You're fast. 405 is lightning, particularly when you're tall. That's a hard drill. He does that, and he's really good on tape. I mean, he's good with his hands. He's a good technician. 
and he's really tough. And I don't think you can minimize corner toughness in modern day because of all the quick screens that the RPOs bring and the quick screens and the speed sweeps, the gadgets. Your corners do really have to tackle today. So I think he brings that. The only thing that bothers me, and it's the only, probably the only area that I ever, um, um, you know, not necessarily disagree, but, you know, I don't always agree, and I make my feelings known in-house, but I, I, I just treasure speed. And the only thing about Brents is he's a four five three. He's a little bit over my cutoff. I do believe I'm going to give him the benefit because of the other things that are so good. He like has the compens- height and the wingspan, he, is that what you mean there? He, well, that and that short area quickness in the vertical tells me there's explosiveness mm-hmm. and there's really quickness. So in my sense, what I do with Brents is I make sure that he becomes a great technician so that he doesn't get beat on release. You got what I'm saying? If he, yeah. if, so if he's in the press, his hands are flawless. So you never get a release on him. If he's back and pedal, his back pedal in turn is really good because he brings everything else to it. And But I would be remiss, and, you know, I am very, very consistent on that. I've never changed. I, I, I never have ever I've – ne- I've never had any luck with a corner that runs uh, slower than 4-5 or five because in the end, as a rookie corner, I always say you have to outrun your mistakes, and you're going to make them. And so catch-up speed is important. But I really like Brents. And then – we came back with a guy I like really good. I think we got a real bargain on Rush. Now, see, Rush is also at 6'2", yep. also has almost 34-inch arms. But now he's a 4'3", okay? He is a blazer, you know, and he was a receiver, so he has ball skills. Uh, he's a tough kid. You've seen him as a gunner. I mean, so I really like him. Now, he is not as smooth. Uh, he doesn't have as much short area quickness as Brent's. But he has the catch-up speed. Now, in my book, and, and, and this is where, you know, I talk to Milas, is Milas's job is to do the little things with him, the footwork, the quickness drills. Now, I believe you can bring that on. What I can't ever coach is speed and explosiveness, and I can't make you long. I mean, one or, you know, I can't, I can't do those things. So he brings that. You know, I think that he will really be in the picture. And then Jones is a guy that, is a little bit more developmental, but he is a lot like Brents. He is he's a little bit slower, but he's really tough and physical. He might even be an inside guy, to be honest with you. Um, and the other thing about the one thing I would say about the numbers, which was our first question out of the box, and this is where it maybe helps a guy like Jones, and it certainly helps those guys on those late rounds that we took flyers on, is you know what those expanded. Um, uh, practice squads now i think they're up to almost 16 Mm -hmm. you really do have opportunities to develop people you know if you don't feel like they have to play right away so but you know we 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 had big need at corner and we had to fill it and uh you know i i think you know basically they they love brents and and then they were able to get rushed so I, i think you got two guys that immediately are in the picture all right two more guys i want to hit on specifically and then we'll talk maybe a big picture about the rest of day three um, but I want to talk about Josh Downs, who was in, th- in the third round. And then I want to talk about Blake Freeland. Downs first, wide receiver out of North Carolina. And Ricky's kind of the exception to the rule when it comes to Chris Ballard uh, drafting wideouts. Only five foot nine, a buck seventy, but he caught over 2,000 yards in college the last couple of years there with the Tar Heels. How, how much do you think Shane Steichen had an influence on this pick? And do you think Downs can be a starter right away in the slot? Like, how much of a contribution 
do you see out of him as a rookie at the wide receiver spot? Well, I think one of the other things that the Colts were looking for, uh, corner obviously was huge. They wanted offensive line depth, which we'll get into Freeland. Uh, and they wanted explosion at wide receiver. They've got to get more explosion. You've got to have, you know, Pierce is a deep guy. Uh, you know, Pittman is a possession guy. But but they're kind of one-trick ponies. We need somebody that can create separation and go get it. Now, this year's draft class, okay, I'm going around the bend, but this is important. This year's draft class was devoid of the big outside number one elite guy. What this draft class had was four or five really good, smaller, explosive slots. Uh, no question about it. Flowers, Mims, Downs, Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati. There's four guys that I thought were all in the same bucket, all really good and could make plays. And so I think when Downs was available, I think they had to take a corner two. When Downs was available on three, I, I think they were excited as all get out because, you know, and I had him rated with all those guys. And Flowers went one, Mims went two in the second round. And here's Downs, who may be better than all of them. Downs may end up being the best receiver in this class. He is just a tremendous he and and when I when I when I saw him Sunday in person, he's even quicker in person than he than he is on film. And he he is a classic slot. He is a guy that should start from day one at the slot. He can run all the inside stuff. He's fearless. He's little, but he's contact ready. I mean, and he'll make the pivots. He'll make the options, the jerk routes, the two options, and then he can get down the seam. The other thing about him is he plays tougher and bigger than his size. Mike Chappell and I were sitting there, and we commented both almost simultaneously that on the roster he has the same dimensions as T.Y., but he looks bigger than T.Y. for some reason. I don't know if it's the length of his legs or whatever. He just looks bigger in person. But he can go get it, and he. what I like about him is even though he's not big, he can jump out of the gym, he's got really good speed, and he can make the circus catch. So, again, as I said, what excites me the most about the draft, and there's a lot of things I like about it, but what excites me most is we've got a quarterback and a receiver who can put the ball in the end zone. Remember what I always say. Oh, yeah. You want guys that can put it in the end zone and guys that knock the quarterback down. But I'm – I really, really like Josh Downs. I'm really happy about that one. All right. In the fourth round, as I said, the Colts drafted Blake Freeland out of BYU. Big old tackle, over 300 pounds. Uh, started over 40 games in college at BYU. Played both mm-hmm. right side and left side of the tackle position. Uh, Rick, how much can he contribute early? And, and which side of the line do you think best fits his skill set in the NFL early on in his career? Well, I think he will have to, you know, because we did, we haven't done very much, really. I was hoping that we would have done a little bit more, uh, but it's just it's hard to fill all those needs, particularly when you had to get that corner. I liked, you know, Avila at guard. I liked Mock at guard tackle. I liked guys, but they were, you know, by the fourth round, they were they were really eaten up. Like I said, these guys don't grow on trees. So what the Colts did with Freeland is they got a freak athlete. I mean, he is, as you, you gave the dimensions, but – I mean, you're you're also looking at you know at a guy that runs a you know a sub you know he, he runs a sub five flat forty a thirty seven inch vertical. I mean, who does that? 
Uh, he's got a, you know, he, he's really a, a seven four six three cone. This is a guy that can really move it. Now, to me, <clears throat> as you said, he has all those starts uh, both at right tackle and left tackle. So, from by definition, he he really is an ideal swing guy to start with. Now, he has some of the same pluses and the same minuses as Ryman. Okay, the difference is he has much more uh, football background. Ryman had very little, so you knew the upside was going to be there, but he was going to have to learn on the job. This kid comes in with a lot more experience in a pass offense. I mean, he, he's a guy that hasn't given up hardly any sacks in his career. Now, again, he's big and tall and rangy, but he is only 302, and that's ex- I think that's exactly what Ryman was at the Combine when he came out. Now, the difference, again, is experience, but he has some of the same problems he does. People do get under him sometimes, and he doesn't have the power. So they're, you know, like Ryman, and you saw Ryman struggle with it. Is he struggles with speed to power, not speed because he's athletic. He can get out and take you on, but he struggled a little bit in the Senior Bowl practices with tough rushers that came right over the top of him. But he, because of the versatility, right tackle, left tackle. Um, you know he he's gonna ha- you know he's gonna be able to be a swing guy, definitely. And you know he is in the Ballard mold. What Ballard does when you when you particularly after the initial lottery picks, which you're always going to get with Ballard. And I like this. I, I I like this. I'm a metric guy. I am not a dinosaur football coach. I I'm a metric guy. I'm a money ball guy. First of all, you're always going to get a guy with terrific metrics for his position, position metrics. You're going to get a guy with very good football intelligence, and you're going to get a guy with great football work ethic, whether it's the seventh-round pick or the fourth-round pick. And if you go through it, you know, all those guys, that's why we rank so high on the athletic quotients. Now, the thing that to be answered, is he tough enough? You know, is he is he football instinctive? You know, and is he productive? So that, you know, that's the key that has to be added. But my dad used to say when he had a slow team, my father always used to say, if we play in a phone booth, I'm fine, but if they move the fight across the street, I'll never get there. Well, with with, with the Ballard draft picks, I'm not sure if we can necessarily win the fight, but we're definitely going to be able to get there. Okay, <laughs> yeah. We're definitely be able to get there. And I like that because if you're, to me, when you're in doubt, you take the athletic quotient, you know, particularly if they're a high-character guy, and you see that. You see that with the kids from Northwestern. You see it all the way up and down the draft. All right. Uh, any any other players in, in uh, on day three? At uh, a Tamawa, at a Barre, fourth round pick at a Northwestern. We talked about Darius Rush, Daniel Scott, safety at a Cal, uh, Will Mallory, the tight end out of Miami, Evan Hull, running back at a Northwestern, Titus Leo in the sixth round, defensive end uh, out of Wagner, interesting pick there, and then Jake yeah. Witt. Any of those guys strike out to you? Well, you know, you know, I, I like things about all of them. Out of Ware, my my Northwestern's kid, um, you know, he's an interesting guy because he's he's like an athletic phenom who didn't really ever have a position and didn't have a lot of production. But you know, he's a guy that you know has tremendous you know athleticism. You know, maybe at the three technique, he gives Buckner a, a, an extra guy on third down, or you know, so he'll be interesting to watch. I think um, you know Scott definitely is in the same mold as Thomas yep, yep. Uh, that we took last year. He'll be a, you know, he's a real, he'll be a really good special teams and give us depth. I, I don't think there's any, we did talk about rush, um, you know, so, you know, as, as we keep going on that, 
the one thing, there's two things, two observations I had. Okay, one is Hall is very interesting, the kid from Northwestern. He played on bad teams here. But, you know, when I saw him, you know, he's got a lot of production, and he has a lot of catches, and he can pass protect. So he might be the guy that you keep as that third guy that you can spell him on third down a little bit. And when I was at practice Sunday, I thought he was quicker than he looked. You know, he looked quicker in person, you know, a a little bit like I said, you know, about downs. He just looked quicker running the ball than I thought. Mm -hmm. And I think the most interesting guy is Leo. And you're going to hear this many times. We finally found our Leo, you know, we've been looking for. Yep. That Leo. The Leo position now consumed by Leo. (laughs) Leo is going to play Leo. And you know what? I, I like the. I, I kind of like if you're going to take flyers, you take a guy that's four six. That, yeah. You know he's played all over the place. He's a little bit like EJ Speed. He played all over the place in college, so the production isn't necessarily there. But you just put him on the edge and see if he can go and see if he can get it. And you know the interesting thing is that we've had two kids from the Northeast, which and and not the Northeast as in Penn State. But I mean, we got Rogers from where UMass. Vermont or New Hampshire. Yeah, UMass. And, yep. And UMass, and then we come right back with uh, Thomas out of Yale, and so now we got Leo out of Wagner. And I'm thinking, you know what? <laughs> We're doing pretty well on that third day from those northeastern schools. So you know, maybe that's a good one. But I just think the name himself and the fact that he's raw will will be interesting to watch him. No doubt about it. All right, that's a little bit of a look back at uh, the day three picks for the Colts in totality. So to wrap up here, Rick, now that the draft is over, what what are some areas the Colts have to improve in on both sides of the ball, offense and defense? I think we kind of get lost in the Anthony Richardson pick now that the draft is over. He's in at quarterback. The Colts finally have hopefully some quarterback stability, a guy they can build around for the long term. That might fix some things, yes, but it's not the cure-all with him coming in as a rookie, Shane Steichen's first year as a head coach. What are some areas that have to be cleaned up across the board this offseason for next season to go drastically different than last year for the Colts? Yeah, that's, and I think that's a really good point, Matt. I really do. And as I said, I really believe with this combination of our head coach and the quarterback, I, I think the landscape, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be for a little bit, but I think the landscape will change for the positive. I'm very, I feel really good about that. And you know me, it's unfiltered. It's not a company line. I just feel that way. Uh, but I, and I also feel, on the other side of it, I don't feel like we were a 4-12-1 team. I think that things unraveled with all the chaos. Uh, the last five weeks became who we were not, to be honest with you. I don't, I'm not saying that we were a contender by any stretch, and you know the quarterback issues were, were going to kill us. Uh, but we underachieved as well. We underachieved everywhere, in my opinion. And so, to me, there's seven areas of this team – that really it has to be addressed and we have to be better and part of its scheme part of it is athletic quotient and part of it is just flat playing better mm-hmm. um on offense and i think obviously we're on our way with the quarterback but i'm going to give you the big seven things that have to get better number one obviously scoring i mean we're 30th in scoring sacks given up 31st you know and and giveaways 32nd so you know, hopefully a new offensive staff, new quarterback, healthy Jonathan Taylor, a possessed offensive line after last year, 
makes that better. The other thing I don't think we talk enough about is our defense has to get a lot better. There are some numbers that you can hang your hat on, but in the end of the day, there were so many games we could have won. In the fourth quarter, you know, we're still we're 31st on defense in the fourth quarter, and that's not holding leads. Completions against us, 31st. And then the quarterback rating against us is number 30. So, you know, we got to get so much better on defense, it's not even funny. And obviously we address the corner situation, uh, you know, but we got to get better rush. We got to get better everything. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And that gets a little bit lost, I think, sometimes. And part of that scheme, I mean, I think we really have to expand it. There has to be a lot more variation both in front and coverage. I talked about it all last year, but that that's inexcusable. You if you got to win games in the NFL in the fourth quarter and that 31st and 8.1 per game in the fourth quarter just can't last. And then probably the most important thing <clears throat> and this was really this was the tail of the tape last year and there's no first of all we can't we we can only get better. But this team went from number two to number 32 in the turnover differentiation last year. I mean, you know, you talked about it all the time, the amount of fumbles, the amount of giveaways, and then, you know, we never took it away. And those, and that, that to me is what really defined the 4-12-1 was the 30, 32nd, last in the league, minus 13 right. in, in, take, in giveaway takeaway. And that's, that's number one. Now, do I think we can get better in every area? You better believe it. But I think, again, we tend to always just talk about the quarterback, and for obvious reasons and, and for good reasons. But there's a lot of other things that have to be addressed right now. All right. Hey, to close out here, Rick, full disclosure, we're talking we are recording this podcast a day before the NFL schedule comes out. So the schedule's <laughs> yeah. coming out tomorrow as we're sitting here talking now. This is Wednesday. Everybody's previewing the schedule coming out. And if you look at the Colts' schedule for next season, uh, on paper they have the fourth easiest schedule in 2023 based on winning percentage of their opponents from last year. The Colts are going to play only five games against playoff teams from last year. They're going to play 12 games, 12 of their 17 games next season against teams that finished under 500 in 2022. But as you know, Rick, and as I know, you, you can't really put that much into that because uh, you know I love nuggets, right? So here's a nugget. The average margin of victory in a game last year in the regular season in the NFL was 9.7 points, the league's lowest for a full season since 1932. Also last year, the NFL set a single-season record for most games decided by eight or fewer points, or in other words, one score with 156 games. And the Colts were case in point. Last season, the Colts lost six games by seven points or less, including three by just a single point, all of those home games. So you're exactly right. I mean, everything comes down to the little things, taking care of the football, explosive plays, protecting the quarterback. That just highlights everything you mentioned for the Colts to try to clean up all of those little mistakes and little areas that doomed them last year and resulted into four twelve and one. No, there isn't any doubt about it. You, you know, you, in many cases, you have to throw out that preseason ranking of schedules. First of all, there's so many changes. Uh, there's so much turnover on rosters now that there never used to be. And even in my day, even in my day, 
you know, 75% of games were one possession games. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, you know, it is the, the complete competitive balanced league. I mean, you talked about the one point games that we lost, the, you know, the disaster in Minnesota. We were with Dallas tied at the end of the third quarter. I mean, we beat the Chiefs and we're one play away from beating the Eagles, right. the two teams in the Super Bowl. So, you know, there is just so much competitive balance. You, you really don't know. What you do know, though, is it really and truly the two things that are most important to you is your turnover ratio and your fourth quarter defense. That's the most important thing because when you get to those close games, those are the things that winning and losing. And that's why I brought up those statistics. Fourth quarter defense, you got to be able to hold the lead, and basically you, you don't turn it over and then you take it away. And I think that's really the big picture because that's where the close games are won and lost. Yep, turnovers, fourth quarter defense, all of that, giveaway, takeaway, protecting the quarterback. All right, Rick, closing out here, what do you have in store this summer, big summer plans that we should know about before we talk to you again soon? Well, you know, we're we're just chilling out here in Indy. I may um, – I, I probably will take a trip out to visit my uh, my superstar daughter out in uh, San Francisco, out in Sausalito. Yep. Uh, probably around the fourth. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll just be hanging out here. Got my grandkids and 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 down the street. So you know, I'd like love the motorcycling in the summer here in Indianapolis. Month of May is great. So. Yeah, we're just kind of anchored in now. And you've also become a lacrosse expert, I take it. Oh, my God. My (laughs) grandson is playing lacrosse. He loves it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know me, I get obsessed with something when I – my wife just says you're just so obsessive, you know. And I, and once I once I got this lacrosse fever, Christ, I'm watching it on ESPN two on the weekend. I mean, I mean, God, you know, between, you know, the only thing it distracts me from because the other thing both Miss Sherry and I love, and I've already, I've already let it out of the bag. We love horse racing, so this is the, mm-hmm. you know, the tri- triple crown week. Although. Both um, uh, both Forte and two Phils are not running in the Freakness next week. So, Sherry and I have been to the Freakness too in Baltimore. We've been to the Derby. Oh, no, I don't doubt so. it. I just love it, and you know what I do? I study it. She, my, my wife, makes fun of me. I study it like I do football. I mean, you know me. I, <laughs> I know when I it. Go to the track. I got the pedigree. I got the history on the horse. I mean, and it doesn't make me any better, but it, it makes it makes it a lot of fun. Uh, it makes your wallet better and fatter. And I love I love Little Hoosier Park. I mean, I'm there as much as I can be. <laughs> yep. Summer plans with Rick Venturi. He's a busy man. He's also a fantastic grandfather as well. My friend, appreciate the knowledge on the draft class and the breakdown as always, and. Uh, we'll talk to you soon as the Colts wrap up OTAs in the off-season workout program in a few weeks. All right, Matt. Try to figure out a way to relax a little bit. You, you just got it. work so hard. I appreciate it. Likewise, my friend. That's Rick Venturi, as always, loving the breakdown of the knowledge here on Inside Football. For Rick, I'm Matt Taylor. Reminder, we've got a lot more coming up later this week. The NFL schedule, as we said, that's coming out tomorrow, Thursday. We'll have plenty of reaction to that. And we'll also have an interview with a Colts veteran player this week. I believe that's going to be Bernard Ryman. He's going to be excited about somewhat going back home this uh, year in November to play close to home growing up in Austria as the Colts have that international game in Germany. And then, of course, the last word is coming back on Friday. Again, for Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. Thanks for listening to Inside Football right here on the Colts Audio Network. So long. So long.